Hi there, Health Bite community. Welcome back to Health Bite, the podcast created to provide you with small, actionable bites towards better mental, emotional, and physical well being. I'm your host, Dr. Adrian. I'm so happy to be here with you this week. And I have traveled halfway across the globe via Zoom to speak with Dr. Samina Shaheen. She is professor of psychology and leadership. She's an author, a TEDx keynote speaker, and a consultant. She's talking to me today about ways in which we can move past the pandemic and into the new year once again. She provides some interesting insight and some actionable steps that I can't wait for you to hear. So let's dive in. This episode is sponsored by Del Bar. Del Bar by Del Nutrition is a high protein, low calorie bar created with clean nutrients to support you in healthy weight, health, and well being. My patients love these bars, and I would love to share them with you. So if you go to dellnutrition.com and sign up for our newsletter there, I will send you our top selling flavors for free now through the end of the month. I hope it will serve you and it will be of benefit. I am so happy to have you here. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here with you. Today, I'm traveling halfway across the globe to get your expertise. And we are beginning of February, believe it or not, (laughs) already the first year, right? The first month of the new year has passed. Much to our chagrin, once again, it's Groundhog Day, right? I know, incredible. Last year, I I remember January felt very slow. Um, This year, it it just zoomed by, like, you know, before we knew it, we're in February. I feel like that's been everyone's experience. I think once again, we approach the end of the year with this feeling of optimism, right? This feeling of turning the corner. And then once again, we've been sidelined by, you know, pandemic news and COVID and COVID fatigue, right? We're all super exhausted. And then layer on top of that, the desire to be at the top of our game for the new year, setting intentions, setting resolutions, however you want to pose that. But we're tired. We're stuck, right? We are. We are. Some of us are, certainly. And I think that, you know, we need to really give ourselves credit for where we've been. I saw a post the other day, Adrian, and it was one of these uh, buildings who had their COVID, their social distancing posts still up. And I took a picture of it. It was a picture of a beautiful park bench and two stick figures in front of it. And then there was this massive two meter sort of distancing between the two individuals. And it said, remember to keep your social distancing, you know, and it was a, moment of realization of my goodness, you know, we have spent the last two years 
distancing ourselves, uh, whether it's physically, emotionally, socially, professionally, whether we've been working online or in person or a combination of the two, the fact remains that this concept by itself, social distancing, I mean, I wish it was referred to as physical distancing rather than, you know, social distancing. It has impacted us and that, you know, to varying degrees. There are people who loved it at the beginning and, you know, our introverts <laughs> perhaps were thinking, yes, thank goodness I can have some me time and, and stay indoors and work at my own pace uninterrupted. And then we had other individuals who may not prefer that style of operating and and working. And so I think we need to give ourselves credit for what we've survived, what we've achieved during this time, and really not to underestimate the impact that it's had on us. So we need to tread carefully, I think, in the next couple of months. I really like the points that you're making. And I think it's so important to highlight that fact that there is an impact even in those who have been relatively lucky or unscathed. So what I'm hearing consistently in my practice, you know, I work in Beverly Hills, the the demographic is, you know, um, successful or well-positioned financially, uh, relatively healthy because of great access to medical care. So there's this feeling of guilt, lack of allowance, to having those difficult feelings. But I think it's important to validate that wherever you are, that you're allowed to to feel the impact, even if you have been lucky, you know, relative to others who have been impacted more. There's no competition in terms of burden here. No, agreed, agreed. There's no competition. And I think that everyone has their unique journey. Everybody has their unique perspective. And while varying perspectives are important for us to be conscientious about, to be mindful about, and it's important, you know, I often say that our brain is like Velcro for negativity and Teflon for positivity. And so in these moments, we need to reverse that. Well, generally, we need to reverse that because our long-term memory bank is so deficient of positive memories and moments that it would be good to you know reverse that regardless of what we're going through but perspectives help us uh, to be able to say well what do i have what am i fortunate about what is there for me to be grateful about and to be able to kind of leverage those facts and and by that you know i don't mean sugarcoating anything. I don't mean uh, self-deceit. I mean, really things that are valid and reliable. And so when we do that, when we put it into perspective, I think there's a newfound sort of appreciation for, I've been able to survive this before. And, And in thinking about that, Adrian, not only should we think about other people's perspective, but also think about the moments and times in our lives in which we have been able to thrive, when we have been able to overcome obstacles. You mentioned when you and I were chatting earlier about positive psychology 
and one of the greatest thinkers and contributors to positive psychology is Professor Stanley Milgram, of course. And he often talks about the three Ps in which later on Sheryl Sandberg and Adam Grant um, wrote a book about, you know, plan B and what to do when faced with adversities and so on. And they raised this idea of the three Ps again. They brought it back to life. I believe Sheryl Sandberg also used it in one of her commencement speeches when she was addressing the graduates of a, of a university. And what the three Ps are, it's very, very simple. It says, whatever we're going through, try not to only personalize it. You know, there is an element of you, but it's not only you. So when we talk about a global pandemic, more than ever, more than any time in our generation, in our history, in our population's history, we need to have, and we need it to have more of a community, non-personalized perspective, that this is not a personal narrative. This is a collaborative communal experience. Totally. And what I do impacts you. My decisions impact you that that this kind of personal narrative may not work in this situation. So first P is don't personalize everything. The second P. But can I just also say that that concept of the of common humanity piece, right? Not only is it in service of others, right? That this is that what we do impacts others, what I do impacts you, but this common humanity piece also is validating of ourselves, right? Making us feel more grounded and um, connected. Yeah, it's like a hug. Right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, because this is, it is when you acknowledge the common humanity behind our uh, adversities then it's easier to tolerate. I agree. I agree. And, and, and a, you know, a problem shared is a problem half. There's so many different poems and expressions and right. idioms Absolutely. in different languages that helps us understand this. While I'm all for personal opinion and choices and so on and so forth, I must say, for me, science and data will, will always outweigh personal opinion, you know, personal opinion is great, but we all have one. And then what happens? How do we align then in what is correct, especially in something that impacts us all? Easier said than done, Yep, as you know, but uh, at least it's an anchor for us to stay within that sort of scientific realm. So first P, don't personalize. Second P, pervasiveness. Uh, When we go through an adversity of this scale, as we've gone through, it's very important to be able to put it in the category that it belongs in, to house it in the correct sort of unit that it needs to stay in so it doesn't become pervasive and impact other areas of our lives, right? So let's say if I have certain financial difficulties, if I allow that to become pervasive, I might allow it to impact my relationship, it may stop me from feeling like I want to exercise. So I start damaging my health. I may make the wrong choices in terms of substance abuse and so on. I become a little bit more recluse and I let that particular adversity then impact other areas of my life. So we must not allow it 
to become pervasive. And that's why there were all these messages of please continue just because we're, you know, in in-house and uh, stay at home orders. You know, people were saying, take a course or, you know, continue exercising or, you know, don't forget to eat properly. So it's that- a tough line, right? It's a tough line to walk because I think for some it becomes, the messaging becomes burdensome, right? Yeah. But if we can just take a step back, you know, I always say I have three kids. Uh, I talk about it on the podcast as I always say to my children, like, keep it in buckets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you right? go. Like yeah. there's school bucket, right? Yeah. Stress bucket. There's the friend bucket. And, and for me, even personally, it's easier to conceptualize that in terms of, you know, buckets, not allowing one to impact the other. But I also wanted to make the point where we began of the messaging shouldn't be perceived as burdensome, right? right. It, right. It's like a nudge. Um, yeah. and, and perfection is not necessary to be effective. You don't have to be perfect in order to be effective. So Again. making that attempt to move your body most days of the week, even if you miss an entire week, right? Is okay. It's okay. Right. Get back on track again. Get back on track again. I, I really like your bucket analogy and keeping things in the bucket. It, it also works um, when we're talking about making sure that your buckets don't overflow, right? Mm -hmm. That the buckets need to be kept clean. They need to be emptied. They need to, you know, you got to make sure that they're full to a certain extent in some context to be able to help others and water, you know, other things. While we do have to put things in these categories, we should also be mindful not to forget about them. They also need to be processed and to be maintained, thought through, reflected on by keeping them in those buckets. You and I don't mean repressing those memories or pushing them away, but just not allowing them to spill over in other aspects of our life. And then the final P is permanence. And there again, we have a fantastic expression that says, you know, this too shall pass. Oftentimes when we are in a particular uh, difficult situation, challenging time, what happens is our brain fools us into thinking that this is the eternal now and it's a survival mechanism, right? We think that, oh my goodness, this is, this is going to be my future. This is going to be how I'm going to have to live forever. And to remind ourselves that look how many other circumstances similar to this or perhaps challenging in different ways came and went and I was able to utilize my skill set my attitude, my thoughts and behaviors to move forward from that. And, and it's, it's important to use that as an anchor. I like that even in the micro setting. So the macro setting is, you know, looking at a global pandemic and knowing that even though it feels like we are eternally recycling the same story, yeah. it will pass, right? And then by the micro, I mean, just in terms of our own feelings, right? Sometimes we are so stuck in our own feelings. We're not even thinking about global pandemic. We're right. just in our own funk. But then recognizing that even that funk, <laughs> right? It's fleeting. 
-hmm. None of those feelings are, I always talk about it even in terms of desire for food, right? When we're in the midst of a craving or a desire, it feels so intense, right? (laughs) Uh, It's like one of those rubber bands that are, you know, ready to just pew across the room. But if we sit with it, we usually don't because we get, we react. But if we sit with it, we notice that craving or that desire, that it, the intensity, it yeah. wanes. It wanes, huh? Okay, well, I need, I need to talk to you about that. <laughs> because when, when I crave a spoonful of Nutella, <laughs> oh, this is horrible. This is really bad. This is me admitting my, you know, darkest, deepest vices. But I'm a, I'm a chocoholic. In, in many ways. It's not only, it's not about craving. I've attached a lot of meaning to chocolate, positive meaning, you know, and you're right. I have to start practicing that to see that if I have had enough on a particular day that, that I should know where to kind of mitigate my feelings for wanting more. Well, yeah. you, yours is Nutella. I always talk on this podcast about my own demon is sour gummy. I say sour oh. gummy worms, yeah. but I don't discriminate. Sour gummy anything. <laughs> the octopuses, the fish, it doesn't matter. I'll yeah. take anything sour gummy. <laughs> Whatever <laughs> shape is, you know, give it to me. But I talk about, I think I, I had done an Instagram post a while back that uh, how is, how is, a Prada bag, like a bag of chips, because, you know, if you walk by and are, you know, Rodeo drive, yeah. let's just say we're all walking by as if we're all walking by Rodeo drive. These yeah, days. Yeah. Let's just imagine. And you fall in love with a, a bag, uh, a Prada bag, a shoe, a car, right? And you really want that bag, right? But then you keep on walking. Chances are you're not perseverating on that bag later that night, the next day. That desire passes. So maybe if you think about your uh, Nutella like a Prada bag, it might resonate. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to definitely try and report back to you on yes. how that goes. You know what? I love the word that you just used, persevering. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a fantastic word that is not used enough. Tell can you tell me what it means to you? Perseverate. Yeah. Um, for me, it's remaining remaining stuck or in a loop. Right. To me, it's yeah. like this remaining in this loop of rumination or over processing. Another way I see it in mind. Yeah. Is like the NASDAQ ticker at the bottom of the, the daily news, uh, right? It's just yes. this constant loop of, of thought. Ongoing. But, and, and, and regardless of how difficult it is, it's almost like a combination of persevering and persistence in the face of something difficult, difficult, beautiful. I love it. I'm going to, I'm going to borrow that and use that more often. Please do. So I want, I love the three P's and I, I want you to speak a little bit to the, even a little bit more to the practicality, right? Because I think a lot of times when we talk about things, um, even though the intention, we talk about toxic positivity, right? Even though the intention is not like rah, rah, cheerleader, 
it yeah. may still be perceived as like, okay, that is something that's okay for you. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. for me, I can't, I don't know how to employ that. Right. Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be something so dramatic. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, it's not necessarily that people are in this terrible place, but even just, you know, I, I have an intention for myself to, to d- maintain those buckets, to not let the overall situation affect my health. I want to be active. I want to make time for good food and good nutrition. Right. But the fatigue of this, you know, or of the overwhelm is there. How do you have tips for how to navigate that? If we're talking about confronting the fatigue, one of the things that a lot of people are incredibly tired about is uncertainty right? Facing unpredictability and uncertainty. At the beginning, even the most agile and adaptable people had a tough time dealing with it when they were able to kind of be more agile and uh, emotionally more flexible. Everyone has their sort of level, threshold level, right? Where you just think, goodness, this is just too much uncertainty. And then there's you know, uncertainty on a global level, uncertainty on a societal level. And then we're also dealing with uncertainty on a familial level, personal level, right? Down to the point of, should we go out tonight or not? If we go, who's going to be there? Have they been vaccinated? Have they not been vaccinated? How many people, is it going to be crowded or not? What are the rules and regulations in terms of the Uber to get, do we need to take a mask, not take a mask? By the end of it, we're like, forget it, let's stay home. And that's just going out to dinner right? For, then translate this into business engagements, trips that one has to go on. It is incredibly tiring and it's incredibly taxing. So the first tip is for us to think about how is my responsiveness to change? How do I respond to change? How did I used to respond to change? How has that changed? Has it developed? Is it, has it strengthened? Uh, what am I resistant to? What is causing these kinds of obstacles that are standing in the way of me flowing rather than becoming a little bit more frictional with these sort of changes that are happening? And it's different for everyone right? It's not the same. So this one size fits all. That's why the self-help industry, Adrian, is a multi-billion dollar industry, right? Because people keep writing (laughs) and we're not getting better. And the self-help, or some people call it the self-hell industry, you know, because it's tough to take that advice, generic general advice or tips and to apply it to my own life. And that's where the bridge kind of is a little bit wobbly. People like yourself, people like myself know that one-on-one consultations should never be replaced with these books, no matter how how many books people read. So, but you do have to ascertain and decide for yourself, where is your resistance coming from? Is it that you're desperately trying to hang on to how life used to be and you're trying to fit that into present conditions and that's what is causing you your frustration and your ability to change? What are some alterations that you could make in accepting 
the fact that things have changed and that I don't need to just because I booked a holiday. It doesn't mean that because I've taken that step that I need to go on this holiday because my sanity being exhausted as a result of decision fatigue might be far more important than the excitement or the enthusiasm that I had set to plan for this trip, right? And don't you also think it's a matter of, you know, how we hold it in mind, right? So Mm -hmm. like the thing itself is hard enough, right? The thing is, but it's what we do to that thing (laughs) that Mm -hmm. makes it so hard, right? So it's like, um, I like to think about it. I I have all these, you know, analogies that come to my own mind. Well, like, it's always, it's great because it, it helps people understand that. Yes. So it's like, to me, it's like holding, holding it like an egg, right? Like you hold the egg too hard and the egg breaks. You hold it too loosely and it falls. The hardest thing I think for us as humans to walk that middle line, right? We, it's almost easier to be extreme. It's right. It's easier to be extreme than to navigate that middle line of knowing, okay, this is hard. And yet I can hold it in mind in a way that doesn't make it more distressing. Yes, for sure. And this is the time in which we need to sit down and say, look, I need to take inventory of what's occupying my thoughts. And when you take that in inventory, you'll find that there is a huge portion um, of your thought content is stuff that you can't control. And you'll find a smaller list of items of things that we can control. And right there and then it's super important to say, you know what, I'm going to really have a bucket for <laughs> these things and these items that I have no control over, why am I spending so much time ruminating over those? I'm going to put those in the bucket and rather use my energy on focusing on the things that need my attention and that can utilize my attention. And where can I apply that? Where can I get creative? Where can I plan things? Where can I try and stick to those plans? and really carve out opportunities and situations where we can extract joy from those moments. Oftentimes people wait for things to happen, people to call, plans to be made, but it's good to be proactive and it's good to design those moments, especially when we feel we've been, we've endured a couple of years of life that has been filled with tragedy and with death, you know, and even just disappointments. It's it's loss, Adrian, isn't it? It's loss. However way you look at it, we have we're grieving. We've gone through an incredibly grief, huge grieving process. Uh, whether it's loss of plans, weddings have had to be canceled, graduations have had canceled. My son, who has been in university, I mean two years of his three, four year university life is lost, right. you know, it's gone. And no way did, did the online experience for a bachelor's degree for, you know, a kid who was very much looking forward to being on campus and experiencing university life. It, it's been lost. Now, those are disappointments, things that we've had to 
kind of let go of and, and postpone. And then on the other level, we've got, can you imagine what it does to our psyche uh, for us to watch a death count on a daily basis? Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's profound. At some point, we have to really think about that, you know, there's this cycle of grief that we're going through, that there are days when we're going to be uh, incredibly sad and disappointed. We're going to bargain. We're going to ask why, why are we going to, through this? Why now? I know people who have lost one or both parents. It's incredibly tough to experience that. My sister gave birth recently and we couldn't be with her in the hospital room, Adrian. We had to sit downstairs in the reception of the hospital for seven hours. You know, these are things that if you don't have that kind of sort of conversation with yourself to try and flow with it rather than allow friction to be caused, it could do long-term damage. And this is maybe my own bias of, even though, even though I understand that we have to allow ourselves the sadness, right? To be with the loss and the sadness. I, I do have this tug to try and pull myself towards optimism. So I'm going to dial into yeah. dial into what you said in terms of getting joy, extracting joy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it doesn't have to be, I want to make the point that it doesn't have to be this grand thing. So for me this week or, or last week's episode on the podcast, I talked about my phone habits. I wrote a blog on how I purchased an alarm clock. And started charging my telephone in the closet. And then I started charging it, you know, in my home office so that it would be away uh, so that I could disconnect from the anxiety, the inbox, the news, the death toll, right? All of that stuff. Right. And in doing so, when my daughter, my little one comes into my room for that 10, 15 minutes, we sit in bed and watch TV before we have to get ready for school. Sitting with her in my arms, as I always do, but without the phone in my other hand, right? I felt so much joy Mm -hmm. in that moment. I could Mm -hmm. notice my head going to like, oh, I need to get ready for work or, you know, oh my God, that email or I wonder, but then I brought myself back to that just 10 minutes and there was so much joy in that. And so I think it's worth noting that it doesn't have to be something grandiose. Agreed. It does take effort, right? I did have to make the effort of putting that phone away. And believe me, it's like getting rid of an ex-boyfriend. I mean, it was so hard (laughs) to put that damn phone away. Yeah. We can get joy out of little things, right? It doesn't have to be something huge. Absolutely. I I wonder, yeah, go ahead. I just was, I wanted to add something to that. You know, there was a fantastic study done. This was looking at CEOs and their sort of cholesterol levels, blood pressure, stress levels, and and lots of different things. And they ask them, they ask them on your way home at the end of the day, what do you generally think about whether you're, and this was, this was done Mm pre-pandemic. And the answer that most of them gave was, well, I think about what happened at work. Well, what did you think about? what happened at work. I thought about what went wrong. Why didn't I say this? And I could have handled this situation better. And why didn't I finish this? And I also think about everything that still needs to be done tomorrow that I need to do tomorrow. Okay. 
So nothing about stuff that went right, you know, instead of, uh, you know, we we constantly obsess. It's the Velcro you were talking about. Velcro, right? So we're constantly obsessed with these to-do lists, but what if we have to-done lists? You know, what if at the end of the week we introduce a habit in which rather than focusing on what needs to be done the following week, why don't you just take a pause and think about everything that you have accomplished during that week? And it is absolutely shocking. You know, a friend of mine who's a nutritionist, she tried this and she said, you know what? It, it feels like for me, uh, she said, I can relate to it. And that's why I want to bring it up with you, Adrian. She said, when I ask people to take an inventory of the amount of food they've eaten that week or for a couple of days of how people are surprised as to what comes up in those lists, you know, because we don't think about it. And it's a lot is on automatic pilot. Do you, do you, do that is that or, something that you know it's uh it's interesting because um they've done studies that have shown that uh people underreport their caloric intake by up to 2000 calories per day wow and when i share this with patients the immediate reaction is oh you must think i'm lying and no it's not a matter of we're not lying we're mm. just not dialed in Right. So all the times that we are grabbing something on our way from one room to another right. or what we're putting in our mouths while we're preparing the meal or even cleaning the table. How many of us eat the garbage our children won't finish? Yeah, left right? while yeah. we're at the sink, but we're not mindful of it, right? We're not even noticing. Right. And so I think to your point, like these times in our lives pass. Yes. Uh, in the same way that we don't even then get joy out of it. We don't even, we're, we're not even noticing it, much less extracting exactly. joy. Right. So, so we're not relevant. noticing it. And so what we did is we took these two groups, um, a control group and an experimental group. And we said, okay, one group of the CEOs will continue living as they're living. And the other group, there was just a minor tweak in their day. Instead of thinking about, all that went wrong or everything that needs to still be done the next day, they were asked to think about what was the best thing about your day. On your commute home, do a total detox, not allowed to think about work or anything related to work. Just think about what was the best thing about your day. And again, to what you mentioned earlier, in the beginning, they were thinking, well, what happened? I didn't get a promotion. I didn't finish my MBA. I didn't like it was these grandiose ideas that they thought they had to pull from or gravitate towards. But in fact, it could just be I had a delicious chicken salad with one of my colleagues. You know, how wonderful that when I go home, my little girl is going to run to the door and give me the biggest hug. How magnificent does it feel to take an afternoon walk and I feel the warmth of the sun on my face and on my skin and gosh, that felt good. And then immediately the body's flooded with serotonin and, you know, positive hormones and so on. And they reported feeling like a refreshing, sort of almost like a shower for the soul and the mind. And they would 
arrive at home in a much better mood, uh, it, feeling better, uh, and, and looking better. It, it, their partners even reported that it like kind of showed on their faces. And there's a and glow. There's a glow because of that sort of arriving with a less preplexed look on their face and questions on their mind. And they all reported after a four month period, they all in the, in the group that introduced this, just what was the best thing about your day improved, you know, blood pressures and cholesterol and, and, you know, indicators, physical right. indicators, bodily I, indicators. I love this. I love the science behind this because I think, you know, even as a physician, there was a time when, you know, I wouldn't buy into all of this mumbo jumbo, right? Yeah. yeah. But actually, if you look at the data, it shows that this one act of just thinking one positive thing, right? Or one yeah. thing that gave you joy has these benefits in terms of uh, bringing down the sympathetic nervous system, nervous reducing system. the heart rate, bringing down blood pressure, facilitating a positive mood because of the release of these neurotransmitters and hormones that are involved in positive mood. So there is really something to it. So I, I would love for the take home message or yeah. the challenge for the week to be take inventory at the end of your day of, you know, three good things. What are right. the, or even one, what is the one good thing and really perseverate as we said I love that. Yes. On, on that one good thing. Right. Yeah. You know, we've been talking now for, for a good 40-ish minutes. I want to close with what are your practices? What are what are some things that you do in your day-to-day to stay grounded or to remember, stay reminded of these things? What are your yeah. personal practices? Sure, no problem. I exercise every other day. Uh, so that's really important to me. And I I I love competitive sports when I can to play like netball or volleyball or, you know, those kinds of sports, but the pandemic, you know, it was difficult to do that for a while. So I just kind of switched to doing some cardio, some weight training, as well as some yoga, which has been really transformative for me. Um, The second thing is I, like you try to have a healthy sleep routine um, and and a morning routine. So my sleep hygiene is important. I try and sleep at the same time. I love the night, Adrian. If I could stay up like till 12, one, two, I love it. Uh, But I try and get to bed before midnight, try and have, for me, I need about six and a half hours of sleep. I'm not, I don't need seven or eight hours. I know that that's how my body functions. Um, Water. That's a great one though. Can I just... I really like to focus on the sleep because I feel like a lot of the things that we tell people to do, they feel like it's a chore, right? Like exercising or cooking or whatever it is, is a chore. Sleep is something that like, just embrace that because oh. right. Having that, you know, seven to a mother of three yeah, right. <laughs> and she'll tell you. Yeah, embrace that. I know having that sleep has so many metabolic benefits, has so many hormonal benefits, has so many cognitive benefits, has so many mood benefits. And that's something, you know, that you can give yourself. And and even for those moms who have young kids who maybe are rolling their eyes right now because they're getting woken up by their children, 
steal that time back, right? If, if you can't get it at night. Agreed. So, Agreed. Sorry, I, I, but I interrupted you. And then your last, you said your yeah, last yeah. one. No, no, no problem. I water, mean, which is but what you were saying about sleep. Like, I think people, you're right. They don't understand that this is not a dormant phase or a dormant stage of our day. There is so much restoration yes. and repair that is going on, not only from a physical perspective, bodily perspective, but even cognitive perspective, all the stimuli that we're bombarded with on a daily basis, this is all getting processed and categorized and kind of you know filed in the appropriate places. Dreams have a purpose. Sleep cycles have a purpose. It is very, very important. Absolutely. And then um, water. So I try and have about, you know, two, two and a half, three liters of water a day. That makes me, I know exactly on the days in which I haven't had enough water. It affects my mood. It affects my attention levels. It affects my uh, sort of being able to just function and operate. Uh, so water's hugely important to me. And then I'm militant when it comes to thought management, Adrian. Mm-hmm. It felt very contrived and artificial when I started this about 15, 20 years ago. Uh, but now it's just become second nature. I am aware of the thoughts and feelings that are coming to visit Um, I know which ones to invite in, which ones to shut the door on, uh, which ones to say, not right now, maybe you can come back later, Uh, what to do with them, where to place them, how to dance with them. And that's something that we can all learn to do so that we are the captain of this cognitive ship and not our thoughts or feelings that we shouldn't get hijacked by them. Yeah, I really love that point. And I think it's important to note that number one, this is the common human experience, uh, the human condition of having, uh, being bombarded with thoughts, right? Like everybody has that experience. And that second point is that we don't have to engage with or believe everything we think. And you know, I didn't, no one told me this until I was almost 40. I know every thought that came into my head, I did not have to believe, nor did I have to engage with. And so I think I love to end with this agency, right? right? You have choice, you get to choose which thought you want to engage with. And as you as the way you say it, uh, invite in. And so I think that's a great place to leave people um, to think about, you know, what what are you doing with with those thoughts, that human condition? We all are exposed to it, but we have choice in how we engage with it. Agreed. Absolutely. You have a choice and you have controllability and we have a responsibility to ourselves to be able to manage and monitor those thoughts it's not easy and we have to override our default modalities to be able to design uh, a system which is more conducive to our health and well-being uh, but that design is in your hands you're the you know architect and engineer of uh, being able to do that there's people like you and I who help within the process but ultimately, I really think, I'm not sure if you came across this, my TED talk, Adrian, it's called, This Talk Will Change Your Life. 
And I start the presentation saying, I'm so sorry to disappoint you, but it absolutely will not. Um, It's not going to amaze you and it's not going to shock you like everything else that we hear in that really, what is this obsession that we have with external voices and experts and that really dive in and trust yourself and your capabilities and your cognitive abilities to manage and monitor. And that's agency as you beautifully expressed. Yes, love it. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with me spanning several continents. Yeah, <laughs> thank Zoom. you. Thank you very much. It's, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, and I would love for us to have other conversations as well to more specific topics we can dive in. Yes, and I would love that. So tell people how they can learn more about you. Where sure. can they find you? Well, they um, can find me on social media. So on LinkedIn, um, I have my profile there. Please connect with me on LinkedIn. On Instagram, uh, my handle is at Dr. Shaheem. LinkedIn is Samine uh, Shaheem as well. In terms of websites and things like that, we're working on all that uh, because I was you know, Dean and Executive Director of a business school for seven years. And so um, I was part of their websites oh, wow. and, and things, but I've just kind of resigned recently. So this is a new chapter in my life. And uh, yeah, social media, I think works. And your TED Talk again was called? This Talk Will Change Your Life. Talk Will Change Your Life. <laughs> Put all of those in the show, show notes. Thank you again. Thank you, Adrian. Thank you. Lovely talking to you. Thanks again for being here with me this week, Health Bite podcasters. It was a great conversation, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. If you loved this episode, kindly subscribe and share with someone to whom it would benefit, and I will see you again next week. Until then.